Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter. Good morning everyone, coming to you live from Naples. So what happens as an ELT teacher? You teach, you work. There are several different options that you can follow. You can become a teacher trainer, writer. This morning I'll be speaking to Nick Peachy about his amazing adventure and journey. Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And a good morning, everyone. Oops, sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> Always happens. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, this morning, as I said, I will be speaking to Nick Peachy, who um, many of you in the ELT world already know. As I was saying, there are so many different options for us as, um, as teachers. ELT is a pretty amazing and creative profession. And oh, I can see. Good morning, Sylvina. Hello, Alex. Um, Nick, I'll, I'll unmute you in just a second. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> um, we're just thinking. I was just sort of reflecting on. You know, you can become a teacher trainer. You can, you can become a writer. Um, but obviously, it's the support of the people in this profession that really, really help you. Um, Nick. I've known for, oh, it, I hate to say it, but it's um, over two decades. Um, we met um, in Naples, he was working here and he was such a lovely presence in the staff room. We were reflecting on that the other day. Um, but I'm gonna let him tell you a little bit more about his journey. Nick, you there. <laughs> I am here, yeah. Hopefully you can hear me. I can, loud and clear. That's wonderful. Wow, that's a relief. <laughs> it's, it's huge pressure pressure as, you know, a tech-related person to think that I might not be able to do this. <laughs> I mean, that is that was or that still is your, your area of expertise. So if you couldn't do it, Nick, then I don't know who could. <laughs> well, probably my wife and my daughter, but we better not go into that. I was actually thinking, yeah, my son could probably help me out there. Nick, there's a little bit of an echo. Could you turn me off? Um, how can I turn you off? I'm not sure. I can turn you down. Maybe turn me that? down. Yeah, that might be easier. I hope. Can I still hear better? you? That's perfect. That's perfect. Okay, great. So, Nick, we met in Naples, but you'd obviously been on a journey for quite some time there. Could you just tell us a little bit about your ELT journey? I know you're, you're reaching all over the world now, but just where you started, where it all started, really. Um, I, I guess my, uh, I love to say this, my, my journey into education and teaching actually started in prison. Um, I wasn't <laughs> in prison as a prisoner, but as a student, I worked, uh, I studied music and I started teaching guitar at the local prison. I'm just going to teach blues guitar to, to students one one evening each week to prisoners there. And um, 
that kind of got me quite interested in in teaching and when i finished my degree you know a degree in music isn't that, that useful if you want to get a job and i had this sort of idea of of um you know doing English language teaching, um, going to Japan, earning some money and then doing a master's in composition. But, you know, I actually went to Cairo to do my CELTA and I got so into, into the language teaching and enjoyed it so much. And, you know, my CELTA course was one of those kind of uh, eureka moments, I think, where, where you kind of realise why you found it so hard to learn in the classroom for so many years. And uh, mm. that had a huge impression on me, really. Wow, that's um, that's incredible. I can't imagine teaching guitar in prison as a student. Did you feel at all intimidated or frightened? Well, I, I, I was a mature student anyway because I was uh, I, I actually dropped out of school when I was seventeen and did a a, a number of kind of dead end jobs before I realised that I didn't want my, to, my life to end up in prison and. Uh, <laughs> And so I sort of got back into education, luckily, really, through playing the guitar. And, um, you know, I started doing evening classes while I was doing a cleaning job and, and sort of managed to get back um, into, into university to do a degree not far away from where I'm now living, actually, in Dartington, in what, what used to be Dartington College of Arts. Um, I studied jazz there. Wow. So by the time I was teaching in the prison, I was in my sort of mid to late 20s. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I didn't feel, you know, the, the people who I felt most intimidated by actually were the, the, the prison warders when I had to sort of go in. When you go into the prison, there's a, like a big glass airlock and one door opens and you step into it and it closes behind you. And then the next one opens and you go into the prison. And the same thing happens when you come out. It's like mm -hmm. a kind of... Uh, um, valve or something like that and that, that was kind of the most in sort of intimidating part was the you know the, the the guards there and you know checking me out sometimes I felt like oh they're not gonna let me out oh, they're gonna <laughs> think I belong here <laughs> you know? so, okay. so you, you you were in Egypt the, yeah and Mm. Sorry, the pri I have to say the prisoners were great. You know, they were really they weren't so different from me and the kind of people that I knew. And and but they'd sort of you know fallen on hard times or had some bad luck or or didn't have a very good education. And and you know that's part of how they ended up there. I think. Mm. You me, it's sad. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about happier things. Mm. Um, so moving from, from Cairo, where, where was the next destination? Um, I finished my CELTA course in Cairo and they asked me to stay and work there. So I worked in Cairo for about a year and a half before um, moving on to Ukraine, actually. I worked in Ukraine for a year in Kiev. Wow. And which was amazing, fantastic students who were, you know, very, very keen to learn and very helpful. A um, bit of a difficult time in Kiev at the time. They'd only been independent one or two years and, um, you know, there was a hyperinflation and things like that. But, you mm. know, really, really great students and uh, really great people really enjoyed there and still have great friends there as well. Fantastic. I hope, I hope they're all okay. As far as I know, yes, but, you know, at the moment. At the moment, yeah. 
Um, and uh, I moved from there on to, um, I'm trying to remember the next place, I went to Singapore after that and did a couple of years in Singapore. Um, <laughs> went from Singapore to Tunisia, to, um, from Tunisia to Spain, worked in Barcelona for a bit, worked in Madrid for a bit, then went to Morocco, then went to Naples, I think that's where I met you. And, yep. uh, and by that time, I'd kind of transitioned through from being a teacher into, I started doing teacher training in, in Barcelona for International House Barcelona. Mm. Um, it was uh, interesting, actually, my, my, when I first got my first teaching hours there, I had to take over a class from Scott Thornbury. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just finished my diploma and, you know, had to go and observe him for a couple of lessons and take over one of his classes because he was being put onto a teacher training project there. And that was, uh, yeah, I, I don't think these shoes quite fit. They're a little <laughs> bit large. <laughs> but, um, I survived that and, and was luckily through doing that, um, he, he actually recommended me to, to train up as a CELTA trainer there. So I got trained up as a CELTA trainer in Barcelona and, and also met uh, another trainer, a guy called Tim Hood, mm. who was doing a master's in educational technology. And at the time, I, I had no idea what educational technology was. I'd finished my Delta and I wanted to do an MA, but the thought of doing se second language acquisition and writing lots of assignments about it didn't really appeal to me. And he started talking about technology with me and I thought, well, I know nothing about that. I've just bought my first computer. Great. That's what, you know, I'll find out about it. And uh, I started doing the the Masters in Educational Technology with Manchester University um, distance mode and spent sort of four or five years doing that. That's incredible. Um, oh goodness me, Tim Hood, that, that isn't a name. I've heard or seen Tim Hood. Tim was have, a, have, a, have I lost you? Uh, yeah. some, someone's trying to call me. <laughs> Nobody ever calls me on the phone and, and yet today. No. They are. <laughs> they are. Twice already I've hung up on them and yeah, yeah. anyway, yeah, Tim, <laughs> Tim, uh, Tim works for the British Council now, but he was a CELTA trainer at the time and, mm. and um, I was training up as, to do the, to be a CELTA trainer and did some training with him and, uh, you know, and it sounded like a really good idea and at the time my, my first daughter had just been born so I got some you know, CD-ROMs and things like that with the computer to help her uh, sort of keep in touch with her first language and um, and found it really interesting and sort of really got into the technology in, in so a way you, because of that. You've been with it from the very, very start. Um, yeah, uh, I think I, I, I allegedly taught my first online cor course in 1998. That's way ahead of time. <laughs> yes. That goes back a bit, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, although I, mean, I think Scott Thornbury might have something to say about that because I think he was doing online courses before then. But anyway, I think this is about actually, you, Nick, not about yeah. Scott. Actually, I think that the course that I taught was a course that he'd written. Mm. Um, I was working at International House and they were looking for people to sort of pilot this new course that they'd put together. And, and he, he was one of the people who had written, written this course and, and I taught on it. How fantastic. And obviously that has meant going on to, to, um, to many other things. Thinking about your career journey, who were the people that inspired and influenced you? Obviously we've got, we know Tim, <laughs> Scott, <laughs> are there others? I think, 
I think in terms of pedagogy, the, the most influential ones for me are uh, Mario Rinfalucri. Mm. You know, I looked at his book, um, Challenge to Think, and, and just sort of loved the ideas, you know, that they, that they weren't about, you know, teaching vocabulary or teaching grammar. They were about, you know, getting students thinking and talking and, and, and interacting about things and sort of challenging some of their ideas. I really loved that book and another book that he did called um, Once Upon a Time, mm. which is um, Ideas for Exploiting, Exploiting Stories and Narrative. That was one that I really liked. And the other person, I guess, is um, Alan Maley. I really, in, really enjoyed his his kind of um, books on how to exploit poetry and literature, and that got me sort of really involved in the sort of creativity side of things. Mm. Wonderful. Um, obviously, I suppose it's it, the people who inspire and influence you. Um, <coughs> What about those that you, you, would they come under the same, um, I think it's coming under the same question, but probably the people that you highly respect in the ELT profession? Yeah, I think that those are the, the kinds of people that I respect in the profession and, uh, you know, but also have a great deal of respect for people who still, you know, who spend their lives, you know, going into class every day and, t and teaching their hours. You know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a demanding profession to work in, uh, especially long term. And, you know, the, the rewards financially are often aren't that great. But, you know, it's, it's great that, you know, people are prepared to spend their lives doing that. And, uh, you know, and I think it really has a big, big impact on a lot of students. Would you say that that's had kind of a knock-on effect? I know we've got Sylvina here. I wonder if she'd like to come and speak. Um, you, obviously, are now um, in a position to help other ELT professionals develop and grow. And I noticed that with Sylvina, you've, oh, she's escaped. <laughs> she's hung up. <laughs> Sylvina, come back. Oh, there she is. Um, you've recently... Um, publish some lesson plans together um, and they're freely downloadable. Should we ask Sylvina to tell us a little bit about it or would you like to um, talk about it? You could, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll just sort of preface that with, the, you know, I guess, you know, it, it's nice to be able to sort of help other people and, and publish other people's plans it's, or, or materials. It's not something I've done a lot of. I've recently done a, a book that Alan Maley put together with a group of poets, which was poetry, and that was to raise uh, money for Ukraine. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I've done, I've started doing a guest writer series with Sylvina, who I've sort of who I plan to sort of put together sort of 10 lesson plans with. And um, it's being extremely well received. Uh, I also noticed um, Graham had a, um, did a program on, on the, um, oh my goodness, for Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Um, please do remind me of the title. The, the book is called, um, oh, forgotten what the book is called the pity of war I yes think yeah um that's quite moving um and a lot of people sort of work together to um to yeah there was a there were more than sort of 50 different the all, all people from with an elt background but mm. 50 writers who submitted poems you know and among them are people like uh, adrian underhill and michael swan alan maley and you know 
So a whole, whole raft of people. And Alan put together sort of 20 ideas for exploiting the poems in the classroom. And so all the money that comes from that, or that we've raised from that, is going to sort of help um, refugees from the Ukrainian crisis. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, so you are now um, mainly materials development. If if an ELT professional were to to take a similar path, what advice would you give to them? I think, you know, the first thing to think about is, you know, think about what's your end game. And I mean, it, it sounds a bit, I don't know, it sounds a bit, I don't know, not stupid, but um, maybe presumptuous to sort of think of what you want to achieve five or 10 years from now. And, you know, if, if you're if you're getting into materials writing, for example, where do you want to be five or 10 years from now? Is it that you want to be, you know, you want to be a publisher, publishing your own materials and publishing other people's materials? Or is it that you want to sort of break into the writing course books for the established publishers market? Mm. Think about where you want to be and sort of plan your route according to that. Because along that route, you're going to have to make a number of kind of quite tricky decisions and, you know, and things affecting your motivation and things like that. So knowing where you're going or where you want to get to can really help that. And, you know, the path that you take for those two different options, for example, could be very different. You know, I think, you know, one of the, the best things that you can do if, if you want, especially if you're, you're pointing towards, you know, uh, becoming an established writer and writing for the established publishers is get, getting your blog together like Sylvina has. She has a great blog. You know, it, it gives examples of her work. They're, they're available there for free. And sort of building up your reputation that way through giving out free work and, um, and, uh, and you know, making people happy and, and making their lives easier is really going to help to sort of build that. And eventually you're going to get noticed by publishers um, also, you know, if you build a big following, that re that makes you that much more appealing as well to publishers. Mm. I think. Yeah, I suppose. If, if you want to go to the other the other route, and you're thinking of sort of becoming a commercial publisher in your own right and publishing your own work for money, you know, it, it's still a good idea to have that blog and put those materials out there. But start collecting, collecting your customers' details. You know, try to get people to register on your blog in order to download your stuff for free. Because the best thing that you can have is, you know, knowing who your customers are and building a customer relationship with them. Mm. You know, think of yourself as a business. You know, and that customer relationship is going to be the most powerful thing that you can have when it comes to actually sort of selling your your work as well. Do you think, I mean, I know that Amazon is sort of getting, there, there's a lot of self-publishing there. And I also have noticed with Brexit that in a lot of instances to actually order a course book, you know, in the past I would normally order um, from the UK <laughs> where possible, um, independent publishers and things like that. But now I'm actually finding that, or living in, in Italy, that, it's actually easier to source materials, um, but they seem to be coming via Amazon print on demand. Um, what's your view on that? Um, 
I've got kind of got mixed feelings about Amazon and, and about print on demand as well. I mean, I don't have print copies of any of the materials that I produce, and I'm actually quite into trying to avoid that if I possibly can, because, you know, ecologically, I think, you know, printing up lots of course books and sending them around the world is a disaster. You know, also, I think that, you know, digital materials can offer that much more than, than paper-based materials can do as well. You know, and that's kind of what I've focused on being the kind of new, unique selling point of the materials that I develop, mm. is that they're very dynamic, very interactive, uh, very sort of media-rich, uh, and, um, you know, and also in, in combination with that, of course, very low cost because they don't have these huge printing costs. And so, you know, they... That, that does make them much cheaper than a printed book. But as for sort of if you're marketing your books with Amazon, it's it's actually quite difficult because, you know, you're there with everybody else from every single other genre of book and you're, you're kind of competing for attention with them and, and it's very difficult to get that attention. You know, I have a few books on Amazon and they turn over a kind of minimal amount of money. Mm. And, uh, you know, a similar thing with, with platforms like Teachers Pay Teachers, you know, that's a bit better, but you're competing with lots of other people. You also have to pay a high percentage of what you make back to the platform. And, and of course, you don't own the customer relationship. And, and that, again, as you know, I said, that's the most important thing. You know, Amazon owns the customer relationship. They know who bought, who's bought your books and they will market things at them. You know, you don't know that. So you, you're not able to sort of market and pass things on to your customers or, you know, build up a sort of feel-good relationship with your customers by giving them freebies or something like that. You know, and that, that I think, is one of the big down, downsides of sort of things like Amazon or Teachers Pay Teachers. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. that that's food for thought. Um, obviously, if you're like me and you're a bit confused about which direction you're going to take <laughs> in terms of writing and um, developing materials, um, it is something that I'm particularly interested in. Um, that is um, sensible yeah. advice. I mean, there's no right or wrong ways that you can... But yeah. if, There are if lots you're... of different ways of doing it, but, you know, Get, get your ideal picture of, and, and be idealistic about it, you know, be ideally 10 years from now, I'd like to be here. And then mm. just sort of plot out your course to that. Because if you just kind of meander about, which is what I did for years and years, not really knowing where you're heading and trying this and that, you know, you end up sort of actually sort of burning a lot of time and uh, time is very valuable. I realise that as I get older. <laughs> oh, you're forever young, Nick. You're forever young so you obviously do a lot of things what's your favorite is it teaching is it teacher training is it conference presenting um or is it sitting with a cup of tea and developing materials what's your i i guess you know what i enjoy is being able to do a combination of those things you know and it keeps things fresh that you know one day i'm sort of doing a, a teacher training uh, presentation online and another day i'm sort of working out mail shots for marketing or you know trying to design a, a, a sort of you know a, an infographic or something like that for me for 
variety is really nice, you know. Um, it's one of the reasons why I got into technology is that, you know, there was all constantly something new happening. And so there were new things to learn and, sort of, and to learn about. And, and again, you sort of have that challenge to think about, well, you know, how do I apply this within my teaching? What does it mean to, you know, my teaching and what I'm doing? And, you know, that constant learning is, is the thing that kind of fuels me, I think. Mm. That's what I really enjoy. So variety is the spice of life. <laughs> uh, for, for me it is, yeah. I know it's not for everyone, but for me it is, I think. Yeah, I, can't, I wonder if I, I might get bored if I just um, <laughs> did one thing. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting time, certainly, for, um, for the world and for teaching in general. Yes, it, it is a very interesting time. I, I was talking to somebody about this a couple of days ago, and I said, you know, much as, you know, much as this has been an awful two years for so many people and the pandemic has been a really awful thing to happen, in terms of education, it's pushed education forward by years, you know. Mm. And it's really kind of prompted a kind of spirit of development and entrepreneurship among teachers you know I see teachers doing marvelous things now that none of them were doing before the, the pandemic started and you know and could it be that they that's great could it be that they were doing it but they weren't telling anyone about it it, it could be that they were doing it or that or that they wanted to do it and didn't have time to do it and you know once you're forced to sit at home and not do anything else you kind of start to occupy yourself and uh, you know come up with these great ideas but yeah and how do you see the future oh how do i see the future um the immediate future, I think, you know, there are going to, going to be lots of people sort of running back to the classroom, sort of thinking, hey, this, at last I'm back in the classroom and I can throw away all these t this technology and not do any of that again. But I think sort of, you know, after they've got over that phase for a little while, you know, a lot of the things that they learned and, you know, didn't know that how to do before the pandemic will start to filter back into their teaching again you know obviously a lot of students probably are going to stay online because you know they've realized you know actually this is just as good as going to the classroom and a lot more convenient you know I know lots of teachers want to stay teaching online because you know they they want to have control of their life and when they teach and you know and and, and where they teach so you know, I think there'll be a, a lot more variety available, which is sort of a good thing. I'm going to hold you there because I have got some more questions about this. But I want to just take a quick break and go to the news. Um, and then we will continue this because sure. it's fascinating. We'll be back in just a minute, just going over to the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. 
a world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us... You'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Search Ed event took place recently at King's Leadership Academy in Warrington and was attended by more than 300 teachers from settings across the UK. The full day consisted of over 40 sessions given by leading academics and educationalists, including Tom Sherrington, Paul Kirshner and Zoe Enser. The day was arranged by Mike Childs and Sarah Vernon, who are both senior leaders at King's Leadership Academy in Warrington. Mike Childs said, Research Ed events present the very best thinking and approaches in education, which is why the event became a sellout with people travelling from all over the UK. The ability to put many sessions online meant we could allow over 400 to attend, either in person or virtually. In Scotland, Water Safety Scotland, in partnership with Education Scotland, has launched the first of its free educational resources for schools. This new initiative affirms its commitment to reducing accidental drowning deaths in Scotland by 50% by 2026. Laura Erskine, Education Subgroup Chair for WSS, said, On average, there are 96 water-related fatalities in Scotland each year. We want to encourage safe and responsible access to Scotland's waterways. 
which can be a positive and enjoyable experience for young people when coupled with appropriate risk awareness and education. WSS aims to roll out the next phase of this initiative in late May and will continue this during the rest of 2022. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello. This week, we're going to take a look at the much-coveted presentation clicker. It's a must-have device for a lot of teachers out there as it allows you to move slides whilst AFK. For those new to Two Minute Tech, AFK is away from keyboard. Ranging in price from £8 to £30, this classroom essential allows you to stretch your legs and make a few shapes while you dance around the room. Some of us have a mandatory piece of blue tack over the built-in laser pointer. Others have invested in a bit of duct tape. So we ensure the device meets health and safety regulations. And most of us have a small stash of AAA batteries in a secret place that we never admit to having. Well, Clicker, I'm telling you to stand aside. The mini wireless multimedia keyboard is taking your place. Having a lower price range of £8 to £15 and being able to do everything the Clicker does except blind pupils as it has no laser pointer and, wait for it, it is rechargeable. You have full keyboard and mouse control from anywhere in your classroom. You can move slides on, alt-tab to switch applications, type, use spacebar to stop and start YouTube clips for questioning, battery life is quite honestly ridiculously long and if it runs out a five minute charge on USB lead will get you through your lesson. All I can say is if you're considering replacing your clicker or are simply a gadget magnet this is a must-have. Search for mini wireless keyboard in any online shop. The only thing I'd say is get one with a light-up keyboard if you present with the lights off. As always don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods And that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And we're back. (laughs) Nick, did you enjoy Two Minute Tech? (laughs) I did enjoy Two Minute Tech, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love I love Two Minute Tech, actually. He's always got really, really sensible advice. Although I'm still not, I'm, I can't imagine a mini wireless keyboard. I'm going to look into that. Um, it sounds, <laughs> sounds sad for the, the remote I, clicker. I have one myself. Do I've you? I have a mini wireless keyboard here myself. Oh, yeah. there you go. Well, you're always, you're always ahead of the game <laughs> when it comes to tech. Um, now we were talking about whether... Um, um, teachers going back into the face-to-face classroom. Um, in a lot of situations, I think we've gone to the hybrid classroom. And I know that there are lots of definitions of a hybrid classroom floating around. How would you define a hybrid classroom, Nick? Uh, uh, actually, I define it as a bit of a disaster. Um, I, th- I think, you know, I think putting teachers in this position where they have to teach students in the classroom whilst also teaching them online is is really kind of I think that's a very difficult position to put someone in you know you wouldn't do it to a doctor or a lawyer or something like that you know but I I, I mean it's I think it's okay if you're a straight lecturer and you're just 
you know, talking to the to the back of the room and, and students are listening and taking notes. But for communicative language teaching where you're sort of getting people into pairs and, and getting them produced to produce together, especially if you're very sort of student-centered and you're monitoring and you want to give feedback that's going to help each student, then that's a diff very difficult position to be in as a teacher. I think it's, you know, very, very difficult. Yep, I think it's the way forward, or at least I've found for my um, my teaching context, I think um, universities have realised they can actually reach more people <laughs> mm -hmm. and um, we're just continuing with it at the moment. I'm not sure what's in store for next year. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, there is, is hybrid teaching, but there isn't really hybrid learning, you know. I, I mean... By that I mean, you know, mm. students aren't learning in the classroom at the same time as they're learning online. You know, I, I think blended learning is a great thing for sort of students to be able to learn online and to learn in the classroom and sort of the ways you can combine that. Um, mm. but, there, but I don't see that, that hybrid learning exists. There's just hybrid teaching. And I think, you know, that's a, a very bad sign in a lot of ways. Okay. It makes it possible to, you know, open classes up to more people. But, you know, whether those people are getting the best possible customer experience by, by being involved in that way, I think is sort of questionable. Again, as I said, specifically for, you know, communicative language teaching and, and mm -hmm. sort of the interaction that you want from students in the classroom. I mean, this, the fundamentals are obviously um, a good internet connection, breakout rooms mm -hmm. if you don't have them. Um, I kind of find myself yeah. bouncing between the students in the classroom and the student. A good set of headphones so that when I'm listening to the students online, I can actually hear them. And then when I'm listening to the students in the classroom, I can take them off and hear hear them yeah. but the interaction between the students in the classroom and the students online is still extremely tricky yeah it's a very difficult position to be in uh, I, I guess and you know unless you put your students who are in the classroom online and they all have their laptops with them as well and it becomes a, a kind of online class with some of the students who are sitting in the classroom instead of sitting at home there were times where we tried that but um, it didn't actually work because the internet uh, provision for them <laughs> wasn't very good. I don't know if you, yeah. if you remember some of the, um, the universities here in Naples. They've got those really big, thick walls and, yeah. um, and they're quite old buildings and not very good sort of yeah. Yeah, infrastructure. <laughs> It's, it's, still, it's still the case in a lot of schools that, you know, I think a lot of schools, invest, when it comes to technology, they invest in the wrong things, you know, they invest in hardware and things like interactive whiteboards and, you know, things that look good in the marketing rather than investing in really good connectivity, which, you know, could, you know, fuel your students on their own devices and, and cut a lot of the costs down that you have in, uh, investing in hardware. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, certainly things like, I mean, the things I hope we don't lose are things like the Google Docs for quick mm -hmm. assessments yeah. and um, being able to send stuff in to one place to me. For example, I do video um, assessments for their, their, their speaking and they put them all on, on the Google Drive. If they put them, if they sent them, emailed them to me, I think my computer yeah. would, would just crash. It would be a disaster. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah>, 100. 
videos, even though they're, they're short, um, it would really um, it would really kill things. Anyway, more more about you. Um, so the future for you, what is the next step? Oh, it's difficult to say, really. Um, I, I mean, for, for sort of peachy publications, I have lots of various plans, but, you know, a lot of them really depend on sort of, you know, sustaining the growth of the company. And, mm. you know, it's still, you know, it's still my, not my day job, you know. I still do independent work as well, and, it, mm -hmm. it, and it's still the kind of side hustle that I do. But, you know, I would like to get it to the point where, you know, I could employ other people, get a lot more, lot more writers in, sort of develop courses, um, you know, and, you know, and uh, build, builds of them into an LMS so that there was a blended learning content and all that kind of thing. You know, I have lots of things that I'd like to be able to do. It's, it's just sort of finding the time, really, most of the time, because, as I say, I'm still doing sort of different projects all over the world for, for various companies as well. I, yeah, I noticed that. Um, in terms of, I mean, you do a lot of projects, and um, I think we wouldn't have time this morning to go into all <laughs> of them. But what are your favourite projects? The ones you're the um, most proud of. One of the, I guess, a, a couple of most recent ones that I've really enjoyed is I developed a, a course, um, um, some course modules for online and some face-to-face -face classroom model, modules for a course um, in Cairo on interfaith dialogue. And that was developed by the British Council and Al-Azhar University, which is one of the oldest universities in Cairo, um, for Islamic scholars. And it was kind of, English to support their ability to sort of communicate and and you know share their beliefs and 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 to, to try and understand other people's beliefs you know and I think that was really interesting thing to do and I learned so much from it as well Sounds that was amazing. A, a great one and I guess the other thing that I really enjoyed I, I worked for Eton College for a while um, with their online company Eton X um, developing soft skills courses um, for teenagers which were all delivered online and that was really interesting as well because I got to learn a lot about different soft skills and you know and that you know once you start learning about those things they have quite a big impact on your own life as well and mm. uh, you know and that, that that was great so you know those are things that I've really learned a lot from as well as being able to sort of you know pay the mortgage with which is always handy. <laughs> Yes, you've just recently moved house, haven't you? I have, yeah. <laughs> and how is it? <laughs> uh, the, I see, I, I see the, photographs on in social media, and it looks just gorgeous. The, um, the house is beautiful. It, it, it's, it's, it looks much nicer in the pictures. I think sometimes it's a bit of a fixer-upper, but it's a, it's, you know, it's a beautiful house, and it's about ten minutes walk from the sea. So, you know, and it's, it's in Torquay, which is in Devon, which is a beautiful place and a, a great place for my daughter to grow up. I've got my youngest daughter is only seven years old, and she, her school is about four minutes walk away, and uh, you know, and the beach is ten minutes walk away, and you know, so that's that's sort of some really nice things about it. Yeah, that's that's what you need. Um, I mean, I, I've always said I couldn't live very far from water. Um, for me, it's kind of, it's really important. And I, I having mm -hmm. grown up in a, you know, Melbourne is on the sea, yeah. <laughs> Naples is on the sea. And I, it's something that I just, I need to be able to look at water at least once a week. Um, it, it helps. And certainly if, if you need to clear your head and go for a walk, um, Food in Torquay. 
What's your favourite foodie spot? Where do you go? My favourite foodie spot, could, um, should I mention the name of Because it's, a, it's <laughs> actually a, a kind of brand place, you know. There, there's, a, there's a place just down on the bay um, where, where um, I can go and have breakfast. I usually take my daughter for breakfast on Sundays. We go and have breakfast and sit on a sofa there and, um, have you know, I have our avocado toast and she has macaroni cheese and uh, we take, <laughs> she takes an iPad with her or, or a phone and we play Pokemon Go together or Roblox or something like that, which is great, you know. So you're learning, you're learning about all those games, and you've actually played them. Good on you, Nick. I could never do that. I don't but have I was... a choice. You know, I don't have a choice. <laughs> oh dear. No, I think Pokemon Go was the one that really, um, really did worry me with all these kids wandering around, and um, and for... <laughs> finding. Yeah, for... For me, Pokemon Go was a great one, actually, especially because she got into it just as we moved here. And what it does is it does get kids out of the house, you know, to Mm. go and look for Pokemon. And and Pokemon are usually based around sort of different um, historical sites or landmarks. So, Mm. you know, we we would go and walk for three hours until the phone battery ran out, (laughs) you know, looking for Pokemon. And, you know, I've I've never been able to get her to walk three hours without complaining any other way. You know, it was really good. Yeah. Really for me it was just more that they were looking at the phone and not looking where they were walking yeah. <laughs> that was my yeah. I, I would take the I take the phone off her while we go somewhere and mm. then we sort of go and find somewhere to sit down and we, we sort of look around see what's there and then we go to the next place so that was kind of quite good I'm still at the the at the point where I'm big enough I'm bigger bigger than her so I can take the phone off her if I have to <laughs> yes wait till they wait till they're taller than you um, yeah, my, Jamie towers over me. Um, I'm not sure if you if you ever met James, but he's he's actually taller than his father as well, which is um, quite extraordinary. Um, you obviously started. We started talking about your education in music. Um, <laughs> do you have a favourite song? Favourite songs? I don't have. I don't know that I have a favourite song. I have a favourite, well, actually, I have a, a favourite song that whenever I'm doing a conference, I put this song on, a couple of favourite songs that I put on before I start speaking. And basically, it's just to sort of help me sort of calm the nerves and things like that. And um, one of, I guess, the, one of the singers is a, a Spanish woman called uh, Concha Buica. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I can't remember the name of the song, actually. And another one, the other one is a, a Tunisian um, singer and oud player called Dafa Youssef. And he's, he has a song that he produced called Yaba, Yaba, Yaba. And um, it's uh, a, a combination of um, jazz and traditional uh, North African music and Sufi music. And he has a, an amazing voice, just amazing voice. And it, it kind of, you know, puts things in perspective sometimes. How wonderful. Um, are you um, a Netflix person? I am you... a Netflix person, yeah. I don't watch TV anymore. I just watch Netflix. <laughs> you don't watch the news? No. That's um, get that off the, online, really. Yeah. Re- I read it rather than watch it most of the time. Mm, no, it's quite it's interesting, isn't it? And are you watching anything in particular at the moment? Or do you... On, on Netflix, I've just finished Snowpiercer. Oh my god! 
I started that. I just couldn't. Mm. Oh, how, how? Oh, I won't ask how it ended. How did you find it? Uh, I enjoy it. Yeah, it hasn't ended actually. You can see that there's going to be another series. That I think it's up to about series four or something like that. But definitely another one coming. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it was definitely left hanging. Well, because they've got to wait for the snow to melt, don't they? So they can just keep going round and round. <laughs> I can't say. Okay. <laughs> and do you have a quote that defines um, you? That defines me. I, 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 I like, the, uh, can I choose two? There's one that's, um, you know, nothing great was ever achieved without passion. So... No, I think if you want to do something with your life, do something that you're passionate about. And I think that that's one thing that's maybe defined me. The other one that's defined the way I work, I think, is I think it's a Chinese saying of, of it's may you live in interesting times. <laughs> and uh, it, it's kind of a, a combination between a, 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 either a curse or a blessing you know that if you live in interesting times it, it can be a blessing or it, you know but if you're not willing to change and roll with the times then it can be a curse and I think you know I think for me living in interesting times has been a good thing and something that I've really kind of uh, enjoyed I guess. Thank you. I've got a question here from Sylvina. She'd like to know how you manage your work-life balance <clears throat> As you are, as you are always so up to date and constantly posting stuff, how do you do it, Nick? Well, it's it's nice to know that I'm up to date because you know, as I get older, I worry more and more about you know becoming irrelevant. You know, can I still at seventy be the you know showing people new new tech tools? You know, will that still happen? I, I don't know. Um, work life balance. I get up early. Um, I, I usually get up about five o'clock. And um, I work for a couple of hours and until my, you know, wife and daughter get up and then I make their breakfast and we have breakfast together and, and I drop my daughter off at school, go to the gym, come back from the gym and then work and uh, again until everybody comes home and until dinner's ready. And I try to kind of stick to that pattern and, and try to avoid working too much at the weekends or late into the evening or anything like that. I, I still get up early at the weekend and, and do a bit of work before anyone else gets up. But I think a lot of it comes down to sort of being ergonomic about how you work and sort of working out, you know, having strict processes and trying to sort of be strict about how you spend your time and, and making sure that one thing doesn't monopolize all of your time as well. So, you know, do you plan to do, do lists you, and things yeah. like that. Do you plan it out? Um, I don't plan it out rigorously, but I have a to-do list. And, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with a couple of ed, ed tech startup companies and what they what I learned from them was, which I think is very important, is how to sort of, you know, size the projects that you're doing and how to prioritise them. Hmm. You know, so think about, you know, how long will this, this uh, bunch of work take me and what, what priority should I get? Give it, give to it. You know, what's it going to? What's the return on investment for it, if you like? So you kind of decide what's your priorities, and usually you choose the the thing that's going to take the least amount of time and give you, give you the best return on investment in terms of <laughs> the impact that it has. You know, mm. and then you have to sort of think about those other longer term things that you know are going to take up more of your time and how to schedule them. But 
you know, that, that's a really good skill to get into is, you know, how to sort of size and, and prioritise. Do you outsource admin and things like that or do you leave it oh, to pile up at the end of the month? <laughs> I would love to. I, I usually leave it to pile up at the end of the year. <laughs> no, I, I have to, in, you know, I have to sort out invoices and things like that. But no, generally I, do, I have to do pretty much everything myself. You know, I have, a, I have an accountant, but, you know, I have to send them quite clear and detailed accounts and stuff like that. Mm. Do you have a favourite word, Nick? A favourite word? Mm. Um, I have a, a word that I really like, um, which is it's a, a word that comes from Egyptian Arabic, actually, which is um, mumkin. And, mumkin. And mumkin can have a lots, lots of different uses in, in Arabic. It can be, you know, maybe, or it can mean, could I have, or it can, or it can mean, you know, well, I'm never going to do that. Or, you know, it's a really useful word. One of the most useful words I have had, had in Arabic. That's got a nice sound to it too. <laughs> yeah, it has a nice sound to it as well. But I like that word, mumkin. <laughs> um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, I guess to, to make time go a bit slower and get, get a few more things achieved and done that I want to get done. So that could uh, stop the day you get your stuff done and then rejoin it yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that I was finished by the time I finished, my daughter finished school at the end of the day and we could go and have ice cream and sit on the beach every day. That would be great. <laughs> well, I'm sure you can do that in the summer. <laughs> Just get up an, an hour earlier, get up at four instead of five. How I do you find that? that I mean... but it makes evenings a bit dull, you know. <laughs> I'm there snoring at 8.30. You know, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just something that I, I, I know lots of people um, do it, but it's just not something that I can do. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's funny, I, I used to be a nighttime person and, you know, I've, I made the effort to sort of gradually change it by sort of gradually moving it half an hour earlier you know, mm -hmm. over a period of time. And, of course, you do have to go to bed earlier if you if you want to do it. But, yeah. You know, one of the good things about getting old, actually, is that you need a bit less sleep. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the few good things <laughs> about it. <laughs> but then you have kids that grow up. I mean, I, I um, you know, it used to be getting them to bed and now it's sort of um, waiting for them to come home. And um, that's... that's um, that's it. I'm sorry. I've got my dogs. They're about to. They're about to go. <laughs> Making a little bit of noise. I apologise. Um, okay. Do you have a favourite movie? Uh, again, I've probably got a few favourite ones. Um, I, there's a, a French film that I really liked called Betty Blue. Um, I'm not sure what the name is in French, but that, that's one that I really liked. And um, as, as a producer, I really like David Lean's films as well. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Nick, um, I, I hope that we can catch up again soon. Um, are there any sort of new things that are coming from you in the next year or so? Or can we expect um, some more surprises? I don't know. I don't know if there are any surprises. You know, I, I feel, you know, sometimes I feel feel my uh, innovative creativity kind of 
gland is is running a bit dry, but you know, then I surprise myself and sort of something appears to me. You know, I've always, I've always, you know, but most of the innovation and the creative ideas that I've come across, you know, have come from having problems and and suddenly sort of connecting the dots and finding a solution to that problem. So you know, I guess you know, if I have some problems coming up, then you know, I might have some nice creative, innovative solutions. Um, are you going to wear a tuffle? Uh, I, probably not this year, I don't think. It's uh, um, a bit far to go from down here in, in Devon and I've got sort of quite a lot of work on, so I think having the time off is a bit difficult at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's, it's interesting that it's finally going back face to face, but it, mm-hmm. is a, it is a bit of a shame that there isn't a little bit of... Um, online <laughs> because i mean certainly i can't travel to belfast that week because i've got uni but um i know for a lot of people it's the traveling that is um yeah it's tricky it, yeah even from here it's quite a it's quite a hike to get to belfast and and uh, you know quite a lot of expense as well so so for this year i hope to be there next year though yeah for next year Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed it goes a, back to its Easter sort of slot. Yeah. <laughs> I might even apply to do a talk next year as well because I haven't <laughs> spoken at iTable for, for years and years now. Mm. All right. I mean, for those of you who are going, who are listening, um, do have a wonderful time. Sylvina, you're going, aren't you? I believe, is Sylvina presenting, if I'm not mistaken? Sylvina, you there? Yes, hang on. Here she is. <laughs> we'll have FOMO. <laughs> Sylvina's not going, so join the club. Yeah, we'll have FOMO when we see all the people posting on LinkedIn. We will, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm really envious, actually. I'd love to go, especially as I haven't been for a few years. I'd Me really too. Like to yeah, never mind. Um, I'm going to have to close the show. I've got the dogs that need to get out. Um, I'm sure you have to have get off to the beach. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's raining, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> <Today>. oh. <laughs> um, thank you so much for, for joining the show, Nick, and it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. Sylvina, thank you for, for joining the show, and um, thanks, everyone, for your time. Next week is Ayatafel. And it's a special, there will be a special pre-recorded program dedicated to David Valente, who is the coordinator for the Whale and Young Learners and Teens Special Interest Group. So I'll be um, recording that shortly. Um, Thanks again, Nick. And um, thank you, everyone, for, for listening in. And I'll see you at the same time next week. Great. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. And it's a great pleasure to chat with you. Lovely to chat with you again, Nick. (laughs) Thanks. Take care. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.